Welcome to Leap Year, a podcast about taking chances, making mistakes, and spending a year or several leaping into something new. I'm your host, Jess Caggio, and today I talk with my friend of 15 years, author LaCase Cousineau, on her journey to finding her voice through written word. Among many things, she has written about the intersection of culture and comics and how it has shaped her evolution as a black woman, as well as the importance of black stories across all genres. Her debut novel, Across the Broken Tide, a historical fantasy, will be out next year. In our conversation, we talk about her upbringing, how trauma affects one's path forward, and what it's like after you've gotten the book deal. Let's jump right in. As a young girl, I spent my evenings reading books with my father and my mom as well, but my dad was primarily the storyteller. We read children's books before bed. And my brother and I were really encouraged to read, to um, watch television, which I feel like right now isn't a lot of people are against having kids watch TV, but it was the 90s. So we were in front of the television a lot and we got to play outside at the time um, when I was a little girl, my cousins were nearby. So there was constant play, constant storytelling. We put on a lot of puppet shows. We really engaged with one another and pushed our imaginations. It was the way that we made fun. Um, Growing up in Kansas, you can imagine it's not the most exciting place in the world. So stories were our escape. And I always loved performing. As a little girl, we did, I did dance and theater and a lot of um, creative um, endeavors. So I was always really engaged with the concept of telling a story. And when I grew up, I, at school, <laughs> could, I, I'm a huge procrastinator. So I was able to, at least with my writing classes, wait till the very last minute and put together like an essay or a poem and things like that. It was just, it felt very innate for me to craft um, a narrative. And I ended up doing that throughout, throughout school in addition to other things and eventually went on to Chicago. So how did that progress as you went to college? Well, college was crazy. (laughs) College was an experience. Oh my gosh. If I could take like, just like, you know, like an Alice in Wonderland sip of something and just maybe like, no, I wouldn't wipe the entire experience. There were some good things. College was crazy for me for a few reasons. I was, it was my first time really away from home. And something that I always wanted to do was, you know, get out of Kansas, see the world. I had this, you know, these grand plans. I was going to be like a regular Anne of Green Gables. Um, but I struggled at university, but what saved me was my writing courses. I was, a, I was in the journalism department and one of my really good friends at the time and still today, he and I had a lot of courses together. Shout out Sean. Uh, <laughs> and I was able to really learn and stretch those muscles in the journalism department. I had a lot of great mentors in the journalism department and I eventually got um, an internship with a company that that has since disbanded, but they were trying to become like a travel Facebook. So I was out interviewing people and coming up with stories. And I was so fortunate I got to go on this um, essentially like a media tour with a travel company. It took us from Chicago. We drove from Chicago across the country to San Francisco, and that was our ending point. And it was the most fun I'd had 
up until that point. And honestly, I few few events since then have been as fun, made some lifelong friends. But I was able to see the ways in which stories can change your whole life. Just being around people, listening to where they've come from, where they're going, what they're looking for, how those kinds of stories can open up your world in ways that you might never have anticipated. I felt like I was unfolding things that I could have read in a book. Mm-hmm. So it was a really life-changing experience for me. And right before I left Loyola, uh, junior, the summer before senior year, actually. So it was that summer. 2007, it was 2008? 2008. 2008. Okay. Yes, because okay. I, left in, I left right before the fall semester. So that happened in June. So what's insane, and that's, you know, I'm thinking of it like from the writer perspective, what's so insane about these stories and people is that I was going through something horrific at the same time as having an experience that was beautifully life-changing. You're going through some personal stuff at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What was the highlight of that trip? So there are a couple. (laughs) One of my favorites. Um, we got to go to Las Vegas. So I'm in Las Vegas with people from Ireland and uh, Spain, the United Kingdom. And oh, two girls from Switzerland who were really cool. And they were just like getting a taste of like the decadence of American culture. All of us were hammered, running around Las Vegas, dancing all night. It was so much fun. We had like, I feel the quintessential American bathroom experience in the, in the girls in the women's restroom, which was so much fun. Um, but that was a highlight in terms of being a young person. But I think a moment that really filled me with awe, we got to stay in Monument Valley, which is a protected American land. And we got to learn from an elder and really engage with the, like, you know, like the realities of the indigenous experience in America. And, you know, we're having this like fun little holiday, but it, it forced us to see what, you know, what we get to experience is so different from what a lot of other Americans are experiencing. So that was, that was huge for me to experience at that point. I think that's really powerful because so much of those experiences at, in our, you know, late teens, early twenties really shape what we want to say. At least for me, it was definitely a period of enlightenment or kind of understanding who I was as a person, all that was forming almost or solidifying itself in those years. I want to talk a bit about, you know, how you go from the internship to where you are now, because I think in most jobs, or at least how we're taught to think of the career trajectory is you get an internship in a specific field and that field, that internship can lead to other job opportunities like concrete employment somewhere. You're going for an engineering degree and then you get an internship your junior year. It's so that you can get a job with that company, perhaps, that you had an internship with, or you can at least use that internship to catapult you to a job somewhere else with a different firm or with the city or whatever. But with writing, that's not such a smooth path. It's not so straightforward. So where did the internship take you? What was the next step after that? Did you think it was going to take you to like a publishing house? What were you looking to get out of that experience? Absolutely the the what we're told in at school is you know you do everything right you get an internship you do well in school you play all your all of your cards right and you're going to find yourself at the New York Times you know my path diverged for i think two reasons the one reason being that i had to leave you know i had to leave Loyola i was going through 
depression and um, as a result of assault and unraveling that. And the other reason, which is tied to leaving, was I needed time. I wasn't ready. Adulthood isn't something that you can just magically snap your fingers and be ready for. I think we're pushed in a lot of ways to like, oh, okay, now now you're ready to like write the next great American novel or be like, you know, win a Pulitzer in journalism and all these things. And that wasn't the path for me. Nothing's ever really been easy for me, girl. I don't take the easy route, but I was not ready yet. And I think that's okay. I had to get myself right. I was miserable. I was sad. It was not just sadness. It's depression. And that's a chemical reaction in your brain. And you can't plan around that. You have to really go through it. So I ended up going home and I, because so much of my life had been planned out so much of my life, um, I thought I had control over, um, kind of fell into shambles. You know what I mean? Uh, I had to figure things Mm -hmm. out. So I worked Mm -hmm. a lot of crazy jobs. I worked at a daycare. I was a camp counselor. I worked at, you know, a nursing home just whatever I could to get by. But in the back of my mind was always like, oh, I just want to write. I just want to write. I just want to write. And I was, I, I don't think I ever stopped writing. There was poetry or, you know, music or anything I could get my hands on. I was writing and reading constantly. And it took me a while to come back to like, to feel like I, ha- I had a right to come back to it mm-hmm. because I had in my mind failed. But, you know, now at my advanced age, I know that I hadn't failed. My journey just had to be different. Um, but yeah, I, I took some time to, you know, try to find my way. So I watched a lot of my, my peers go on and, you know, have internships as well and find jobs at newsrooms or doing other things. Not, not everybody is a journalist now or, or even a writer now, but that, that was hard to see because I had, you know, I, I felt like I had to work just as hard, if not harder to get my foot in the door. And then my, my foot is now out of the door, you know? So mm-hmm. it was an adjustment for sure. Yeah. Watching others supposedly progressing in a way that you that you feel should be you right like why isn't that me right and even like knowing well this is this is why it's not me but it's still hard to um absorb that mm-hmm. no that makes a lot of sense I I mean I think that's part of the issue that we have now on a different scale because we didn't have social media when we were in college or actually I guess we did but we didn't really use it, it in the like same our, way yeah it was like our freshman year that Facebook started Right. And we just didn't, it just wasn't as intense as it is now where you're seeing other people, you know, thriving or supposedly thriving in ways. So, so like, at least I feel sometimes that it can feel as though the goalpost is always moving. Like I get to one place and I feel good about that. But then if you're not just singularly focused on what you're doing, you're going to be easily distracted by what other people are doing and judging yourself based on their accomplishments rather than what you're doing. You know what I mean? Oh my, yeah, 100%. It's like you said, I love that, that imagery of the goalpost constantly moving. Cause it's like, yeah, you, you get published. Okay. Well, is it being made into a movie? No. Oh, congrats, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, it's even like major successes now are viewed, I think through a skewed lens. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, social media has that mind warp effect on your accomplishments. I, I think it's so whack. It's so whack. Any accomplishment, you know, like my dad said something to me the other day that I like really needed to hear. Um, because there are days where I feel so like, I'm so hyped for myself. I'm like, I stand myself and other days where I'm like, wow, like I'm, I ought to be like on top of the whole world. But, um, my dad said, 
everything has been twice as hard. You're, you're a woman, you're a black woman, and everything's twice as hard. But that means every success you had was twice as hard to get. So like, you ought to celebrate every little step. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, how dare, how dare you? <laughs> but he's, you know, he's so right. Every success Mr. Perry always coming through. Oh Chris Mr. Perry is coming through. He's the jam. He organized my office for me, so. That's the teacher in him, though, giving those, like, nuggets of gold. (laughs) I know. He was such a great teacher. I'm so glad he's retired. But, yeah, it's, um, it really skews your view, uh, social media. Yeah. So, how did we get to, you know, I know, obviously, we're, you're my best friend, so I know, I know a lot of your um, journey, but talk us through a bit of how you got from working all these odd jobs or different types of jobs to writing and wanting to write your first book. Yes. So yeah, Jess is right. I worked so many crazy random jobs. Um, you name it, I've done it except for like, I don't know, lion tamer. Um, <laughs> name them, name them, <laughs> name them all. Okay. 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 Yeah. I got camp, camp counselor. I got preschool teacher. Um, I worked at a nursing home. I have freelanced. I worked for like two days at um, Abercrombie and Fitch. My mom was so proud. Actually, funny story. I had lied. I, I quit after two days and I had lied to her because she was so proud. Like, my, like he's got a job. And my my dad's like, will you please? I, I, nobody knew, but my dad knew. You know what I mean? That you had like, quit? Yeah. He's like, can you stop lying to your mom, please? And I looked at her and she's like, oh, the case. I got <laughs> was she oh, yeah. proud that you got a job or that it was at Abercrombie and Fitch honestly I think both because she told her co-workers like oh Abercrombie and Fitch. I'm like oh my gosh I had to wear flip-flops every day like why are we applauding this but um <laughs> it was a mess so what else have I done girl I have done it all I've seen it all um but again writing was always just my th- I just love stories I love reading I love engaging with stories so I actually first wrote a children's book when I decided, okay, I'm going to give this a whirl. Well, let me back up. Started a blog and I helped, I started writing with you, which was tremendous. People out there listening, find a buddy who can keep you accountable because Jess held me very accountable and we held each other accountable and it was tremendous. It helped me immensely. So the blog, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to pitch an article. I haven't written for anybody. I want to put myself out there. What's it going to hurt? I'm a nerd. I like fandom. So let me go to a place where they want me. Because my 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 parents had been trying to like encourage me to write more because they knew how much it meant to me. So I found a website that I really loved and I pitched three articles. And the one they picked was about writing, but the article they picked was about my story as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and how being in fandom, how reading comic books and going to the movies and having something to like look at and uh, inspire hope in myself saved my life. You know, that was a big piece of why I left Loyola. I went to, I went off into the big city and I was not healed from that experience. I had never told anybody about that experience. So I was incredibly vulnerable. I'm in this new experience as an 18 year old trying to figure out why am I so angry? Why, why don't, why don't I sleep? Why do I have to achieve and achieve and keep going? I didn't know how to deal with that. And, you know, it led me to a breakdown and moving back home. So I, it was writing this article was a chance for me to like really tell my story and make peace with myself. So I wrote that article and it got picked up. And now all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, like, am I legit? 
what does this mean? And I had no idea what the hell to do after that. So we were writing our blogs. I'm like, well, let me just keep blogging and uh, see what comes of that. And then I decided to write a children's book. I'm like, this will be easy. False. Any kind of writing's hard, but I think children's books are really hard because you have to tell a story in like six pages, right? I mean, it's long as six pages, but I really committed to, I'm going to write this book first to just like dust off my cobwebs. And I really love that story. I still have it. Um, someday I might see if I can get it published, but I wrote the story and then I, I pitched it out and I got some really lovely feedback, but no one wanted to pick it up. But I was like, oh my gosh, okay. I went through that step. I allowed myself to be vulnerable to people who could tell me yes or no. And from there, I'm like, all right, all right, girl, let's do this. Let's write, let's write that novel. Like what you're hearing? Go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from and give us five stars. Putting content together is hard work and your quick validation will be a boost to my ego and will bump this podcast up on the charts. Thanks so much. Now let's get back to the show. How long did it take you to write that first book? The fir- Oh, girl. Uh, I would say with consistent work, a year. Wow. Yeah. Cons- consistent work it took me a year to write because I'd never written a novel before. It's not easy. I think it's a, it's a worthwhile endeavor. If anyone wants to write a book, please, please, you know, put yourself to the test and, and give it a whirl. Because it's, okay, it's so just thinking of the timeline, you yeah. wrote the novel, then the children's book. Children's book first. That's what I thought. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Well, actually, I I think we've talked about this before, but just for clarity, I had been working on a book, but I scrapped it, and that mm-hmm. that was one I'd worked on for years, and I was like, okay. this isn't going anywhere. So I allowed myself to scrap it. Then I wrote the children's book to like really make myself finish something. And how long did and, that take? The children's book. Mm-hmm. Six months. Yeah, I mean. That that's significant. Like I, I yeah. don't think that people realize how much time and effort goes into these works. I would not think it's hard to to really quantify. Like when a, when let me think. Um, like Gia Tolentino, right? Who I love from the New Yorker, so who good. wrote Trick Mirror. I listen to the audiobook probably once a week, and I've read the actual book twice. Um, she talks about that process being a year and a half and a year and a half of truly doing nothing else but that. And so I think when we're thinking of just like a children's book, that's however many pages, three lines a page at most, it doesn't feel like that would take six months, but it does. That's a really intense process. Absolutely. Because I mean, you have to hone a skill. I mean, look, any endeavor you're going to take on is going to take time. If you want to be really good at it, you're going to have to afford yourself the time. We don't all have it, but I think if you want it, you can make it. You know what I mean? Um, And I had to make it. Well, And I was in a very privileged position where I, because I work all these odd ass jobs, I had lots of time. You know what I mean? Like I was (laughs) all over the place. I had nothing but time. But it does, I mean, it's, we're really learning a new skill because in school we're writing essays or I was in journalism school. So I was writing, um, you know, working on pieces where it's a lot of interviewing and I'd had my experiences writing research papers, but writing a book, developing worlds, developing characters, you're giving them, you're giving things that are, you're, you're turning an idea into something tangible. It takes so much time. 
and it took a lot of care and I had to learn a lot. I, you think you know how to write because you got an A on an, like an A on an essay, but writing a book is a, a whole new muscle, muscle, muscle. It's a whole new muscle. There we go. You finish the children's book. What comes next? Like you try to, you try to shop it out. It's a no go. How do you decide to pick up the pieces and start the next project? Right. So at the same time as starting the next project, my husband and I moved to California. We wanted to, oh yeah, I got, I got married, fell in love, found someone crazy enough to marry me. Um, sad news for him, but we moved to California. <laughs> Poor guy. He got condolences cards on our No, found day. someone worthy enough <laughs> to marry you. That's right, girl. Let's fix it. <laughs> the luckiest man alive, honestly. I'd be, I'd be giving out good back rubs, but um, we <laughs> moved to California for his job. So I made the agreement with him that I would finish this book. You know, we're in a new place. I take a little time until I find a job and I got to work on the book and I wrote every day. I was doing research because it's historical. It's fantasy at the time. It was just straight historical fiction, romance. So I was doing tons of research, which I love. That wasn't a problem for me. I, I really enjoy research. I love discovering or pardon, rediscovering what people's lives might have been like based on historical evidence. So that was fun for me. Worked on that, was crafting and recrafting and recrafting again, these characters and the storyline. And finally, um, about, oh man, yeah, a year later, I, I, finished it and I had been trying to build myself up like on Twitter and things like that because I, I had heard from you know following other writer blogs like it's good to have a presence online so I was on Twitter and I was constantly like looking up like um different writers and joining different communities and I got a, an ad advertisement for um a conference in Sa Sacramento where you could pitch to agents so I'm like oh my gosh this is my chance so I like went buck wild editing and like finishing everything up and trying to tighten it up. And I went there and I pitched and um, the agent that I got to speak with said she wanted to see it. So I doubly freaked out and went back to it and I worked so hard. I forgot to mention this. I had, I had previous, like in the middle of all this, I got, I ended up getting a job that took forever to get because we're living in a North Northern California town where I'm the only black person for miles and it took forever to get a job. You can imagine why, but I got a job. Not just and, Northern California. Let's be specific. Not just Northern. This is not San Francisco or Oakland. This is the boonies. The boon to there the are team. no black people for my hills. Okay. Yeah. And black people will come into town. I'd be like, girl, run. Don't stay. <laughs> White people I know were telling me to tell you to run. <laughs> Get her out of there. So, um, so I finally found a job. And it was with, with a school again because of my experience. So I was off for the summer and I like was working on the book nonstop. And then the, I met the agent and then school, little did I know, started back up because I was so hyper-focused on this book. School's back in session. I missed the first three days of school and nobody calls me. My mom calls me Wednesday night and was like, oh, how was work? And I go, work? She's like, didn't school start back up? And I go, oh my God. <laughs> I worked through school. So I lost the job. But <laughs> I finished the book. But you finished the book. When you called me and told me this story, I have never laughed so hard. Truly. Yes. I was dying. I was so embarrassed. And 
I mean, it, I think I'm so thankful for you and my husband and my family and all my other friends because you all made me laugh about it. I was just like in shambles. I like cried in the shower. I was like, I was a failure. I forgot I had a job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm like, I hate this book. But I finished it very sweatily and sent it off to her. And it was another no after she got like the full thing. She's like, you know, it just isn't going to work for me. But because I had been on Twitter and I had been putting myself out there on social media, I met my current publisher who wanted the book and supported me in turning it into more fantasy. So there's a happy ending, hopefully, as long as you guys give it good reviews. And you got your first book deal. I got my first book deal. I got Amazing. Black-owned publishing house. Black-owned, Black-woman-owned publishing house. I'm so proud. And the name of the publish- publishing house is? Oh, yeah. It's, it's called Written in Melanin Publishing. Written in Melanin Publishing. And I have never been happier. We work daily on everything with the book. So it, it it's going really well. So um, I have a support system while I'm working, which is great. We work, um, it, we really are a team, you know, I'm not floundering. And I've had the opportunity to talk to lots of other Black authors and hear about their experiences and what they go through in publishing and what things look like uh, in, in other you know, avenues of the publishing world. And I'm just so thankful I'm working with who I am. I'm very supported. So I'm, I'm just so excited. You know, I'm, I'm tired of looking at my, my words. Where you are now, like, wh- like yeah. what stage are you at? You've gotten the book deal. I yeah. think, you know, there's a lot of celebration that happens when we get the book deal, but then there's so much work that comes after that. So yes. What is that like? Okay. Um, so say you, you know, angels come down, they bless you with a book deal and, you know, it's not, it's not done. You have to accept their edits because every, every agent publisher, they all have edits. They want you to not, maybe not change your entire book, but they, you have to tighten it up because they're the experts. They know what, they know what it needs to be, to be readable. So I am on my fifth round of edits. No, no, no. Second round of edits with her, but fifth for me, because I, before we met, I was like, oh, this is trash. So second round with my publisher. So they give you your edits, but then you're also working on the cover. You get to have, if you're lucky, you get to have input on what the cover looks like. So you're working with an artist. You're working on the font. You are also working on your marketing plan. You have to be a part of that as well. You have to be out there engaging with the world at large. So I have to, I just actually got notes today about what I need to be doing so that when your book comes out, people know about it. They don't just, you know, they're not bombarded two days beforehand. So it's like, and the publishing process can take one to two years because of the edits, because of the illustrations or the, you know, the cover design, um, setting up who, who you're going to sell the book through. Do you want to go through Amazon? Do you not want to go through Amazon? Do you want to go just through Bookshop, which is a new a new feature that authors are going towards? It's it's, it's like a smaller. Towards. It's mm-hmm. it's like an online retailer for for yes. local bookstores. Absolutely, it's it's for indie local booksellers, which is great because we're trying to get people out. Well, we can't oh, really go out now. Yeah. yeah, but we're trying to get people off Amazon, just because it it. I mean, it's always about numbers and money, but this is a way to make sure that authors are getting their what they deserve for their work. So that's another, that's another feature of it. And I'm learning so much, but there are lots of steps. And right now you would think, you know, I signed the, the in no the beginning of this year, I believe, or was it the end of last year? Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm so hazy. Signed very recent, like to me recently, but about a year 
So we're almost another year out from the book even coming out. You know, it'll come out fall of 2021. So it's a long process. So you have to be patient with that too. Um, and if I'm very fortunate that every step of the way, I know what's going on and I'm, in, I'm involved in it. So I, I'm part of the marketing. I'm part of, I got, I got to say yes or no about my cover and the fonts and things like that. But um, it's a very long process. So it's been a learning experience. So there's a full production really that happens beyond just yes. writing the book. And your book is very long. Yeah. <laughs> like, like 800 pages, 900 pages. No, it was, it was about almost five, and which I had to cut down. Oh my gosh. Okay. I, I'm still, I, it, I had to cut it down a lot. But another. What great, was it originally? The original page count? Yeah. Oh, 480 something. Okay, you know what I just remembered? I re- I I realized why I thought it was eight or nine because we were re- or we you were reading. I know this Dude. much is true. Oh, I no, know this no, much no. Is true. I know this much is true, and yeah. read that in a day or something psychotic. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I was like, "What? What I am know. I doing here? Let's." I'm never doing a book club with you again because <laughs> I'm like, "Jess, are you done yet?" <laughs> I was like, "I'm at page 20. What do you mean?" <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I'm on chapter 84. Uh, yeah, I. Well, at the time, we were in the middle of the wildfire, so all I had to do was read uh, to try to survive. But, um, yeah, that makes sense. We read a bunch of books together during that. Did we? We did that one. And then Hidden Valley Road, which is so good. Oh, my God. Oh, Oh. so good. If people haven't read Hidden Valley Road, I'm forgetting who the – wait, I have the – by Robert Colker. Hidden Valley Valley Road by Robert Colker. So good. People should read that. It's amazing, amazing book about this family um, who have ten children and five of them are diagnosed with schizophrenia. No, twelve, isn't it? Twelve, 12 kids? kids. Yes, and six of them. And yeah. six of them. Wow, I can't remember anything clearly, but I do remember most of this plot. Narrative nonfiction, really good book. Um, yeah, we read that together. Okay, so I want to get into what comes next for your career as you're building it out right like you you know what you have for the book and there's a plan and a process and you have a publisher to guide you on what the next steps are but for yourself and building your career what do you want what do you want next I want to always be learning I want to be in constant study I love to learn I love to create um Aside from books, I've gotten back into writing music and singing again. I want to learn more about writing screenplays and doing treatments for that. I t- I've been fortunate enough to take some online classes. I took a course through Guildhall School in, in London, which because of Zoom, so many things, and because of Zoom, because of what we're going, what's going on in the world with the pandemic, people are opening up education um, in ways that they weren't open before. And I really hope it doesn't change because everyone deserves access to these amazing opportunities. So I've been able to learn and be, I'm, I'm, I'm so open right now just to learning as much as possible. Jess, I I want to forever be trying something new. I, let me be honest. When I left Loyola, I had like no hope. When I left school, I thought this is it for me. Everything in my life had been plotted out. Everything had a, a step and a step and a step. And then you're there, you know? And for the first time in my very young life at that point, I didn't have a plan. So I was so, I was in despair. But now, knowing that I lived through those things, knowing that I can accomplish things that seemed impossible, I just want to continue to to learn and grow and try everything out. I think 
you know, it's just never too late to try something new. So that's what I'm trying to do now and write different things and open myself up to new experiences, never skydiving, but other things perhaps. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Not throwing oneself out of a plane, but maybe other things. Not for me, you know? In terms of... In terms of your fiction writing, mm-hmm. do you want to stay in the fantasy realm or would you want to write in other genres? I have toyed with writing like a romance, like a straight fun romance. I think that would be a lot of fun. I love to read them and I think it would be a challenge to write one. I Kudos to romance writers who can write a really good sex scene. It's it's a it's a skill that mystifies me. I don't know how they do it, but that's my next challenge. It's Girl, I, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I feel like I've called you girl 800 times. This is not us talking on the phone. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> or it is. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would love to write a romance. I've got a couple ideas floating around for that. I do want to revisit the children's book. I definitely want to get into screenplay writing. I just want to try. Yeah, I'll, I'll write anything, honestly. And I, I enjoy reading everything. You know, I I... I'm always a bit struck by romance because you and I have talked about this um, quite a bit that I didn't realize it was the best selling genre of yes. all time. Um, and which makes sense given how many Jackie Collins novels I was reading in high school. Um, <laughs> she's so good, right? Right. She's so, and like her way of making you feel like you are right there with Homegirl, you know. But I, I want, I want to get your thoughts on where publishing is going now because we're definitely seeing a title change title wave whatever the word is um we're seeing a change in the industry as we're seeing a change across industries we're seeing a change in food we're seeing a change in media i think the like blm protests kind of re like coming back to life in a way you know in into the public discourse this summer um have changed a lot of how people understand where people of color fit in these mostly white spaces and publishing is not exempt from that. It's a very, very white industry um, that has a history of having people be in positions of power who kind of are on this very clear trajectory from like an Ivy League school to be able to take an internship where they make no money, but they can afford to do that because they have, you know, family help, etc. So we're trying, we're seeing it change now, but how do you see it developing and what do you want to see out of the industry? What do you want to be different? Mm. I definitely see black um, writers and, you know, writers of color, writers from marginalized backgrounds being way more vocal about the microaggressions and just like overt aggressions that they are forced to deal with in publishing, you know, things like oh, this isn't palatable to a broad audience. We all know what broad audience means. It means white. So a lot of authors now are, you know, really sticking to their guns and and not letting that slide anymore. And as an author, I mean, you are at, unfortunately, you know, the whims of the publishing industry. But um, I think it's really great to see authors of color who have, who are at a point where they are more secure calling this out is forcing some changes to happen. And I also think a lot of authors of color are realizing, like, I don't have to publish with a Macmillan or a Penguin, you know, to be a valid author. I can publish with an indie publisher. I can publish with a Black-owned publisher. You know, those old belief systems are being challenged. So I would like to see in the future more of that, you know, more um, solidarity between 
pub- indie publishers that are run by people of color or you know m- people who are, come from marginalized backgrounds and, and not, there really is a monopoly on the publishing industry be- by the big five you know they there are currently less than 30 black agents in the like working in the publishing industry less than 30 of the hundreds possibly thousands of agents out there so that means in in reality only around 30 people are actively working to acquire books by black authors and they can they cannot take them all you know and publishing doesn't want them all we see time and time again that maybe a handful of black authors will break through the barrier and they say well okay well, wash your hands we're good that's enough so we have to why not find other avenues why why fight for a seat at a table that y- you know you're going to be you know, at the very end and your, your food's going to get to you cold. Like I, I would rather just build my own table, work with people who want me. That was a big thing. Okay. Okay. When I pitched my book to the agent who said she wanted it after the conference, her, a piece of feedback I got from her was that she couldn't keep, like she, there were just too many characters and it distracted from the story. And I, I'm, I'm very receptive to criticism. I mean, I cry about it later. But I took that, but then I, I started thinking and like holding my book up against other books. I'm like, you know, these other books that she like, there weren't, I didn't have that many characters, but the difference between my book and other books is that I use ethnic names. My book is set in Cordoba, Spain in the 10th century. I have, you know, names that are ethnic. I don't shy away from that because it's historically accurate. And I was like, okay, I wonder if that's a problem. I, you know, you just start, you start to wonder. And it's like, am I not giving a, am, I, am I not being given a chance because their lens isn't wide enough to see this kind of story? And I, I, I just want authors of color to be given a fair shot. And a lot of times we see that we are not given a fair shot unless it's by people who look like us and have experienced life the way that we have in broad strokes. So that's my hope that people will give, you know, as we see this movement that is so, you know, we keep having the movement in waves. You know, it's like people think we, you know, we protested for a month, so we're good. But, it, you know, it takes long and diligent work. So my hope is that people will continue to invest in Black authors. They'll continue to invest in Black publishers and agents so that we can make these things stick. And what's your advice for a new writer, a Black writer, a writer of color, going through the industry you just described with all of its issues and you know, bumps and problems. What what do you say when they have that to go up against? I would say to like never lose sight of your worth. You are not defined by someone's inability to see your value. There are lots of people out there who need to hear, who need to read, who need to experience the story you're going to tell. And I just really hope and pray that if the door shuts on you know, the door that you thought you were going to walk through shuts that you won't, I would say, please don't give up and please look for other avenues because there are people who want you. I went where I was wanted, you know, and now I get to put my book in the world. So that would be my advice. Don't give up, be creative. Don't be afraid to take your time. Don't be afraid to think outside the box. And, you know, doing that really saved me in lots of ways. So yeah, that would be my advice. Thanks for joining me for this conversation with LaCase. You can follow LaCase on Instagram and Twitter at at LaCaseCousineau. That's L-A-K-A-S-E-C-O-U-S-I-N-O. And read her hilarious daily quips about life and get more information on her book release date and book tour. 
You can read her writing at lacaysecousineau.com. Leap Year is a production of Leap Year Podcast, LLC. Editing by Jess Cadjo and Lacase Cousineau. Music by Jess Cadjo and Matt Boyer. Created, hosted, and produced by me, Jess Cadjo. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at Jess Cadjo. That's J-E-S-S-E-K-A-D-J-O. All social handles are in the show notes. Finally, thank you to my family and friends who've supported me in this endeavor. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.